Hey everyone, it's Charlie Webster here. I hope you're keeping well and safe. Thanks so much for joining us for My Sporting Mind, a new podcast where I speak to sports stars about their mental health and well-being to hopefully help and encourage people. This is a special episode with the EFL and Mind supporting their Inside the Mind of campaign for Mental Health Awareness Week. And today we're returning to the world of football management and I'm very delighted to be joined by the Northampton town boss, Keith Curl. Welcome along, Keith. Uh, hi, Charlie. How's things going with you? Uh, I'm good. Frustrated because obviously I'm a people person. I motivate people. I like being, I like creating environments whereby people are motivated, uh, are welcome, creating welcoming environments. And so yeah, it's difficult when you're, when you're not uh, in that environment. But again, it's given me another insight into being back home. I think probably over the last nine years, I've spent a lot of time not being home-based. You know, I was I was down in London at, uh, at QPR and Crystal Palace when I was an assistant manager to Neil Warnock. Uh, then I got a job up at Carlisle. So the one place I haven't really spent a lot of time over the last uh, nine, ten years is, is my own home. Yeah. And how has that been in itself? Have you learned anything new about yourself? I think probably the type of person I am, uh, I've adjusted. Having the guidelines of the exercise and everything like that is, uh, is, has been difficult. Because like I say, I'm an outside person, I'm an outdoor person. Um, probably the other thing I've realised is how much time I actually spent uh, in my car, uh, which I used as my office, uh, and I, uh, the phone. Uh, I seem to be always, uh, I always have my phone, whereas now I don't use my phone as much. I use it to call people that were before it was at the, attached to my hip. And again, I've got the, my priorities have been different. Uh, communicating with me, with my family has been difficult because I've got uh, two older children uh, and four grandchildren live in Manchester. So I've had you know, daily Zoom meetings and Skype meetings with them and, and being told that you can't see them uh, has, has been a challenge. Keeping in contact with them is um, different again. And I've got my partner. My partner's moved in with me with her two children uh, right, right at the beginning when, they, when we were going into lockdown. So it's been a, a family adjustment there from being popping in, in and out of the house and to going back into a, a family environment. And then I've got my daughter, my other daughter, my youngest daughter who lives in Sheffield. So we've had to, had to wait three weeks until I could uh, until I could see her when you could interact with her within separate households. So... Um, it's, it's, it's been frustrating, um, but and again, them being away from me staff, away from me players, not having that contact time that, that you usually get on a daily basis and, and getting that feeling because normally you're the focal point and you're, you're very much at the, the heartbeat of, of what's happening on a daily basis. So basically just being a broadcaster and, uh, and trying to speak to people, trying to communicate with, uh, with players and staff uh, and keep everybody upbeat, motivated and, and also focused. That was a long answer, wasn't it? It was a great answer. I have about <laughs> 10 questions within that answer that I want to ask you. So I want to ask you about how you're still keeping the focal point, but about you personally, how do you cope with those frustrations? Like, do you have anything practical that you do? Uh, I think the first three weeks, uh, I threw myself into all the little jobs that needed to do around the house. As you can imagine, not being house orientated, uh, there, there was a few. Um, I like decorating and I managed to get myself, so I've done a little bit of decorating. I did the, the window sills. Uh, I like ice skating rinks. So, <laughs> so I've, I've done that. I've done bits of painting, done little bits of tiling and everything that needed doing. I've done, I've, I've realized now that I'm starting to put little jobs off thinking I'll do that when I go back to work. <laughs> so <laughs> so but, that's but, gone the other way around. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I actually painted my windows shut. So <laughs> I also had a bit of a decorating experience but I learned from it and now I think I'm a very good decorator yeah. <laughs> after I spent an hour with a knife 
yeah. trying to basically get the dried paint so I could open the window. I like decorating, but it's, it's not something that I, I don't jump out of bed with a, with a spring in my step uh, to do it, but, uh, but uh, I enjoy it. I'm quite meticulous with it, so I take my time. So it's, it's nice to have uh, enough time to do it how I want to do it, but it's not, yeah. not something I'd like to do for a living. <laughs> no. So what about outdoors? You use an exercise quite a lot because a lot of the, uh, the players and managers you've spoken to, it shows how much exercise is such a focal point for their own mental health. And you said you're a massive outdoor person. Yeah, I've been going on me, uh, on me daily walks and me exercise. I've got a, a mountain bike that I go out on uh, as well. I think probably the biggest thing I've noticed is I motivate my partner. And she wants to lose a little bit of weight. She wants to tone up. My daughter, daughter's exactly the same. So I've been doing an exercise program for them. So mm-hmm. I take it in turns. I find that they're better working individually than they are working together because they, they act as a distraction if they're trying to work out together. So I give them time slots. We go out, we go out in the garden and I'm doing exercises uh, with them. And again, being part of their regime uh, helps me. I love it how you're actually kind of almost being a manager to them. Like yeah, almost I, talking there. Well, I've decided those two players should separate when they train. <laughs> it's <laughs> almost like, <laughs> like the way you would speak to your football team. So on the players... Um, how are you managing to keep in contact with everyone and still be that focal point? Yeah, we've divided the, the playing squad between the, the four football staff. We do it on a rotor. So uh, uh, every member of staff's got eight players. That we, uh, we text, call, uh, have a Zoom meeting with once a week. Uh, and then we reto- uh, rotate that every week. Uh, so we're, all get, we're getting around every single player. But again, I think the biggest thing is we've had uh, a couple of Zoom meetings with all the players on. And it's, it's, uh, it's difficult to handle and organise when you're talking about 20, 24, 25 players. And, and you end up talking and not listening. So I think the, the biggest thing is dividing it into eight people becomes more personal. And again, how people want to communicate, whether it's a Zoom meeting, whether it's a phone call, whether it's a text, uh, we go by their guidelines, what, what they prefer. A lot of players, and we do individual Zoom meetings with as well. And again, we're finding out more about players' home lives, what they're like as individuals, what their family circumstances are as well. Some of the players are living on their own. Some of the players uh, are with their partner. Some some of the players are still living at home with uh, with their parents as well. It's it's about finding out their own individual circumstances uh, and creating and keeping them motivated, making sure we're checking up on what they're they're doing, because obviously because they're furloughed, so we can't give them workloads to do. But all we can do is we can give them guidelines and ideas of what they could be doing to help them for as and when we do return. How much is mental health in the forefront of your mind then when you are speaking to players? I think I was, uh, I was um, mental health, uh, the issue of mental health had a massive impact with me. I had a problem about, about six years ago with alcohol when I realised I needed help. The biggest thing that I found is that I needed someone to talk to. I needed to, I needed to be able to communicate with somebody that didn't judge me but somebody that wanted to listen. And the biggest thing that I found, I, I, uh, I did the 28-day program, uh, I went into the Priory. The biggest feeling or the most satisfying feeling I had is when I came out. I felt as if I'd unburdened and the issues that I had hadn't disappeared, but they gave me tools that I could challenge the rest of my life. Because the biggest thing that I had was I couldn't see myself going forward, winning a battle and accepting a challenge. I did the 28-day program, I came out, and I came out with a completely different mindset of what the rest of my future was going to be like. And I think that was massive for me. And again, probably the biggest thing I learned was being able to talk, uh, having somebody listen, gave me the confidence to address certain issues that I had. So I, I like trying to create an environment there that I, I want to listen, I want to help. I want to be able to direct and give advice um, and point people in the right direction because I know 
it was a battle that I knew that I couldn't face on my own and I needed help I needed guidance and again so that inspires me now that I want to be able to listen I want to be able to be a, be a person that can be part of a communication that is there to help what helped you recognize that you needed to to speak out in that situation because I'm glad you brought that up um, because I think a lot of people struggle with that too and it is about mental health. It's not about the actual alcohol or whether it's drugs. It's about the underlying feelings underneath. So what was it that helped you recognize that you needed to, to speak out and you needed to speak to someone? Um, I think I realized that, um, that I wasn't happy with, uh, with me as a person. I didn't, uh, I didn't wake up in a good place. I didn't feel happy. I didn't feel fulfilled. I didn't have direction. Uh, I thought I'd lost focus of what I was going to do, what I wanted to do. When, you, when you've got an alcohol problem, uh, you, you have a drink and you forget those problems or you put them to the back of your mind. When you wake up, they're magnified. And then it's a challenge. What are you going to do next? And I was, really, I was waking up too many days facing that challenge and I didn't want it. I didn't, I didn't want to face that challenge. And I knew that I couldn't win it on my own. I knew that I couldn't win because I, I knew that I would go and have another drink because drinking was solving the problems. And again, it's like a coping mechanism. Yeah, definitely. And again, yeah. and then I was realizing I was drinking to excess, making decisions that were not the, uh, not the decisions that I would make or, or would want to make with a clear head. So I knew I had a challenge that, that I needed help with. And again, probably the biggest thing was saying, you know, admitting to myself that I wanted, uh, that I needed help. Because again, you, you, know, you grow up in a football industry where you can become to be thinking you're, you're invincible and you can face any, any single challenge and no matter what it is, you, know, you can brush it off or you can deal with it. You, know, you deal with defeat, you deal with having a bad day. Uh, I realized that I needed help uh, and I needed the right help. Uh, and the right advice uh, and again I needed to I needed to be able to talk and be, uh, be able to communicate me to stand up in front of a room of people that I did not know and tell them some of the issues that I had some of the thought processes that I was going through some of the things that uh, some of the challenges that, that I thought that I was going to need to face was massive because I'm not so much I didn't so much hide it away um, because people knew I, I liked to have a drink and people knew that I liked to be social and I was a, a social animal but again I was realizing it was a mask that everybody thought I was all right because I always had a smile on my face, always laughing and joking, always the center of attention, always in and around and making other people laugh. So again, being able to come out and just say that I've got a problem that I, that I need a little bit of help with was, was a big step for me. Did you feel that you always had to wear that mask because the more people saw you like that, the more you almost had to meet that expectation? Um, it's the power of alcohol. When you've had a drink, everything's all right. And, uh, and you, you think you've got clarity. But all you're doing, you're putting, you're putting issues and putting problems off and you deal with them in a different way and, and you don't deal with them in, in the right way. Uh, drinking can switch your mindset off, whereas I know I needed to be switched on. If I wanted to do and get where I wanted to get to, I needed to be switched on and I needed to have clarity and I needed to have direction, uh, not only in my, in my work life, but in my personal life. I, need, I needed to be in a better place. I needed to be happy. I used to go home and I wasn't happy unless I came in, flaked out on their bed and woke up the next day. Mm. You said that it, when you got help, it didn't obviously take it away. And I think that's the main message around mental health problems. Getting help doesn't just, you know, we, I've spoken about this with, with other people within football this week. It actually helps you cope with it. What, what things do you use maybe that would help other people to cope? I think probably um, the biggest thing I realised was that, that, that willpower, it wasn't enough. I'm a stubborn person. Uh, I'd say that I've got strong willpower, uh, but I knew. And when, when, when I 
finally understood that willpower enough was not going to be enough. I needed to change my mindset. I needed to change how I, th how I thought about myself, how I thought about the, the issue and the problem that I had and how I, de how I dealt with that. Uh, what I say, uh, I've read books. I used to go to, used to, go to the AA meetings, uh, listening to other people's stories, listening to other people's struggles listen to other people's success stories and the, the, the dramatic change uh, in their life the path that they were going down and their decision some people have key moments in, uh, in their life and in their recovery whereby it sends them on a different pathway i was desperate to find that path but everybody is an individual as well and everybody has a different coping mechanism what works for somebody whether it's a textbook whether it's a script it might not work for somebody else i was lucky the meetings that i went to were excellent because it, it got me again from being in, a, in an enclosed environment, being in the priory, when you're able to talk and you create friendships, then to go out and it's anonymous, you know, alcoholics anonymous, so nobody knows the, the true details of, uh, of everybody's life story, but people are there prepared to talk. And me being able to engage with people and say, people that I used to know, I used to walk in the meetings and people would recognize me because of what I've done in football. And they'd be like, wow, I didn't know you had a problem. And I would say, well, I had a problem. I'm dealing with it. Uh, and they used to help me deal with that because, again, it's a different... But when you're in the public eye and people recognise you and people have a perception of what you were or, or yeah. they don't know who you are, and being able to say to somebody, like, I've got a problem. It's the same problem that lots of other people have got. How has it changed the way that you now approach football? I think I've got more clarity. Uh, I've got more empathy, which is something I didn't have before as a... Uh, as a professional sportsman I lived in a competitive environment on a daily basis and everything was about winning trying to be the best um, and again I think probably having that more empathy and not not so much judging somebody but finding out more detail before I make decisions uh, and again when somebody, you know, somebody's having a bad day comes somebody in a bad mood whereas before it was just a case of well, someone's having a bad day whereas now being able to extend and ask the right questions and getting somebody to have a conversation. Some people don't. Some people don't want to have a conversation. Sometimes you have to be clever enough to maneuver to get people talking. And sometimes, and then you don't just come and say that like you're having a bad day today. Sometimes it's a case of like, start a conversation somewhere else uh, and eventually build up that trust, which is something that I think that I've uh, developed and I enjoy uh, is getting to know people, being, being a trustworthy person that somebody can talk to about anything. It sounds like you've really created that atmosphere at the club. So how do you deal with losses and that pressure in football? Because, you know, us as fans, we see you and we see every little emotion on your face and reaction when you're stood pitch side and when there is pressure, when there is losses. After every game, I drive home that drive home sometimes can it's, an, it's about an hour and a half drive sometimes it can it can seem like 10 minutes sometimes i've been that engrossed in the conversations about the game i've missed the turn off off the, off the motorway sometimes you know, if, if, if i've won uh, you play you play a game and you win i could drive for hours if i've lost the journey seems about to uh, it seems uh, not long enough either um, and then by the time i go home then i always write a script uh, of the game and how i saw the game for from minute one to minute 90 you know if i thought we were having dominance if i thought we were under pressure and then self-analyze the decisions that i made within the game whether it's a change of formation the change of substitutions and, and, and then very quickly i build up a database for myself and then i leave it and then I'm on to the next game. Uh, but then we have, we have a Monday where, where I have a debrief with, it, with all the players uh, and, the, and, the, and the staff. I have two different uh, debriefs, one with the staff and one with the players. And basically, again, but we create a platform whereby it's honest, it's short, 
because I've been in video meetings before that have gone on for hours and they've turned into rows and talked into players protecting themselves and then it, and then it's just a, a mass scramble that you don't end, you don't end up getting anything positive out. Um, I analyse uh, and then deliver a, a debrief that's very short to the point but very honest if i've seen something i tell people that i've seen it some players have done, if they've done something i don't like it's one of those i don't like that uh and, but i'm very quick to praise as well you know if we scored a goal we've won a game and we've taken the positives out of it and always make always make sure i end the meeting on a positive note and sometimes on a positive note is uh, we need to do better so as soon as the game's finished is it more about you know, talking about things after when people have cooled down, if they have heightened emotions, whether it's a good or, or bad emotions. I mean, there's no bad emotions, but I mean, as in like there's losses or wins. After a game, win, lose or draw, I always let the, I always let the change room settle down for, uh, for five minutes. And then I go in, I keep me debrief after a game, very short, because I know if I get involved in the emotions of it, it can go on for ages. Um, probably one thing I have done is uh, the kit man has got clear instructions never to leave, uh, put a table in the middle of the room because it acts as a distraction. And, it, and usually if you put a, a table in the middle of the room, somebody will put something on it. And again, it adds as another distraction. So again, I always make sure I've got a clear changing room with no distractions uh, and again let them settle let the players settle down and then when you walk in it's like making an entrance it's one of those it's creating that platform and now the manager's walking and you've had your say you've had your bits and pieces now you're settling down and sometimes it's one of those hold on today chaps uh, and it, sometimes it can be as simple as that and i can fill a room you talked a lot about being open and honest and you have been um here which is fantastic and really appreciate it is that why you've decided to be an on your side champion for mind and efl and make sure that these conversations happen? Again, I think it's important. I know that I've got a story to tell. And I know that it's a story that some people might not recognise or might not understand things that I've gone through. And so me being given the opportunity to be an ambassador, uh, it's, uh, it's an honour um, to, to be identified as somebody. Look, I will listen. Uh, I'm given the opportunity. Uh, I will talk. If somebody needs help, I will help. Uh, in every way that I possibly can do and it's showing again I keep going back to what people's perception of what I was or who I am a lot of people don't know me they might know Keith Cole the, uh, the footballer that, that played here played there played there not a lot of people have got to know me because I know uh, for a large majority of that time I wasn't being myself Right. Um, yeah, so whereas now uh, I've got a story to tell people that are interested come and speak to me and I'll tell you what I go through what I'm going through how I, de how I deal with things um, do, do I have bad days yeah I have bad days but I know that with every, within every bad day there's a positive that I can take out of it and again me not drinking uh, if you, if you, some of the people that knew me, some of the people that were, were, uh, that I associated with before, if you'd be able to say to them that, uh, that six years this July since I had a drink, a lot of people that knew me at the time, would, 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 I guarantee you they would say, no way would you be able to go without a drink. Because it was, it was a part of, the, part of my fabric, part of my makeup. If there was a party, uh, if there was a social event, I was there. I was out and about. My daily life was about where I was going, who I was going to meet, what, what my social functions was going to be about. So I took a lot of time and a lot of care and attention about where I was going, about rather than looking after myself, my mental health, what I need to do. Strangely enough, I do jigsaw puzzles. <laughs> uh, I, not a lot of people would imagine me coming home, but I, I, it's my escape. When I do come home, I spend a lot of time in my house. And uh, I needed to do it. I couldn't just sit down and watch TV every day. So it was one of those. I got involved in doing jigsaw puzzles. I, was, I challenged my family, give me the, find me the most impossible jigsaw puzzle, and I'll do it. 
So they sent me one. Every piece looks exactly the same. They called it the, impo the impossible jigsaw puzzle. So I've done it twice. Keith, I'm going to send you. I've got a jigsaw out <laughs> on my table right there. It's my mum staying with me in a moment. And she started it off and it's so hard. And both of us still haven't finished it yet. And then like, I, the other day, I knocked, I put my leg on it because I was on the phone and then the whole thing stuck to my leg and I was like, ah. So yeah, and we can't do it. So I might send it to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's like, it's dogs, but they're all yeah. like the same colour fur and it's really yeah. hard. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you're not the only one that's got a jigsaw puzzle to go. <laughs> um, I was going to say, do you feel that you then went on a journey to find yourself um, once you did start to become sober because you it seems like it's the Keith Curl that we saw on the pitch is so different um from the one that started to discover himself six years ago so was it finding out who you are and did you sometimes feel well who what is my identity then if it's not that and if it's not that perception of me I think I'm still finding out about myself now I think uh, I'm a calmer person I don't make irrational decisions now I've got a, a different thought process uh, and a different calmness uh, about me now my, my biggest thing is how I felt when I came out of the Priory. It, it was probably the most, you know, I describe it when I speak to people, I, I describe it. Can you remember, remember the, the ready, was, there was an advert, a ready break advert. The people that had it in the morning used to have a, a, a glow surrounding that's <laughs> yeah. what I felt, that When I came out of the Priory, that's what I felt like. I felt as if I had a glow about me and I had a protective shield around me and I, but I, and I don't know why I just felt as if I had I didn't know where I was going but I knew I had somewhere to go and, I, and it sounds weird but I had, I had direction but without an end point I knew I was going on a journey and I just I prepared myself make sure you're ready I didn't know at the time that that journey was going to be Carlisle um, and there's one other like I knew I came out I knew positive things were going to happen to me and then within I think within two three weeks of me coming out of the Priory I got an interview for Carlisle and I knew, driving up there, I was going to get the job. Was that belief in that because you felt more comfortable in who you were? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and again, I think after, I went up, went up to Carlisle. Um, and again, I, I think I've managed to keep that positive energy and that positive, positive determination. What would you say to anybody that can relate to themselves in some of the things that we've talked about, um, especially in terms of alcohol? everybody's different my personal journey uh, the first thing i did I, when i realized I, I woke up and i went i need help and then the first thing i did was how where can i get this help from my avenue was uh, the lma I, I spoke to the lma who's, who's the, uh, the league managers association who's my, uh, like my union rep they put me uh, on a path that saw me get help and i was lucky enough to have that organization behind me and the lma and the expertise that they had in place Advice and guidance would be seek help, speak, talk, communicate. Some people, like their first line is going to be, go speak to your doctor. For people not in the football industry, people in, in mainstream, if they're having what they deem to be uh, adverse thoughts and adverse mindset, go and speak to your GP. Uh, go, go and speak to a counsellor. Go, go, go and speak to mine. Go, go and find your local representative uh, and be prepared to talk. People will help and people will guide people in the right direction. The biggest thing is being open, honest with yourself. Because until that happens, until you can be honest with yourself, anything else, you go and sit down and talk to anybody else. If you can't open up and talk to them and be honest with them, your, your journey is going to take longer to get to where you want to get to. Yeah. Keith, really appreciate your time. Thanks so much for sharing with us. Thanks very much, Charlie. It's great to talk to you.
thanks so much do remember that you can reach out to me and you know if you want to speak to Keith there are various different ways you can connect to him and the EFL and Mind are currently in their second year of their groundbreaking on your side partnership which aims to raise awareness of mental health with football fans clubs and the general public improve the approach to mental health in football and raise vital funds to deliver national and local support for more info please visit mind.org.uk there's lots of information on there and remember if you're really struggling you can call 111 in the uk that's the nhs line available 24 hours a day seven days a week thanks for joining us